I did not feel good. I didn't feel good about anything really, but I decided to share that with the world, even though it's a little bit embarrassing and it's not a very good representation of how to hashtag live your life because I just feel and and felt and feel that a lot of the time, even if you jump on to a feed that's curated in a way that makes you feel good and empowered and uplifted, sometimes that can actually revert you to a place of guilt as well. You can feel a little bit like, why am I not living my life in this way that is wholesome? Why am I not seeing every sunset? Why am I watching so much Netflix or eating two family-sized bags of chips? So I think that we are genuinely moving into a space where people sharing those grubby or raw or tricky parts of themselves is a positive thing. And I actually think that it's being at least anecdotally, that it's being recognised as a positive thing. I'm here this morning with David Olney. How are you, David? Very well, thank you, Tim. I have not only got a pink coffee, I have also, for the first time in what must be four months, been on the community bus. The world is nearly wow. normal. And you're not diseased yet? Hey, I haven't licked the microphone. I'm fine. <laughs> also joined with Chloe Grayling from Love Chloe Jane. Thank you for joining us, Chloe. Hello. Thank you, Tim and David, for having me. I'm very excited. This is good that you're excited because I'm caffeinated. So excited and caffeinated fit very well together. <laughs> High energy podcast this, uh, this episode. <laughs> Listeners, it's about nine degrees in Adelaide this morning, so perky is good. Mm. And of course, we're joined by someone who I know personally and I know to be very perky um, in in at least most of our social interactions. Very high energy. Someone told me recently that my energy is mad Mm. and I wanted to know if they meant high or crazy or both. And I think it was a little bit of both, but I'm here for it either way. Both is good. It gives you wiggle room. Yeah, it does. You can just lean in a particular direction on a given day. (laughs) Depending on the caffeine. Mm. And how much you want to annoy another person. Yes. Frequently, a lot. <laughs> well, luckily you've got a, uh, um, let's say, a large bank of people that you can annoy. So <laughs> I do. I try not to annoy them so much because um, they can make the decision to run in the opposite direction pretty quickly. Click that unfollow button. But I do consider that it's a bit cheesy, but I consider them all my friends. So I also feel like I can be myself. And some days that is over caffeinated and annoying. And we roll with that. Well, you've alluded to, I guess, what we want to talk about today. So, I mean, first, I might ask if you could kind of introduce to us uh, what it is that you do. Holy dooly. So the reason that you've asked me here today, I do wear many hats, but the one that I'm plonking on this morning is that I work as a content creator and influencer. There were bunny years around that. I know this isn't a visual medium, but boing, bunny years, boing, yeah. Boing. On social media. So across Instagram, TikTok, I have a blog and a very small YouTube channel as well. Lovely. And it, from what I know, my very specific exposure to social media, you are the most constructive and positive example of social media use, which as we've kind of raised before on the podcast and, and you and I have talked about personally, Chloe, that it, it can be you know, social media is something that often gets railed on as like a negative force in our society. And not that you are going to be the only defender <laughs> defender of that, but I think you're it's, our defender of it. Yeah, it's important to kind of let's, you know, talk about what we can do to use this as a tool that 
is constructive, is is positive uh, in our society. So Yeah, I'm really excited about that. There's definitely a space for social media to be genuinely empowering and, you know, a, a genuinely positive addition to people's lives. So very excited to get cracking in that direction. Well, uh, I guess to start us off then, I will just kind of ask what your journey was, I guess, from being, let's say, someone who wasn't an influencer to being an influencer. What, I guess, started you in, on that journey? Because I always knew you as someone who was very social at school. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert that Chloe graduated from my high school a year before me. We've She's got all the dirt on Tim. Yes, all of it. We've been very good friends for a very long time. And, you know, it just kind of makes sense that you would end up being someone who was, let's say, popular. But it has grown beyond that, obviously. It's, it's, it is something that is... Yeah, but I think you've already made an interesting distinction there. There's a difference between being social and being popular. Mm. Being social has all sorts of positive connotations. Being popular means people might be really attracted to a small part of a person that's visible and presented to them, but not understand that actually the reason the person's popular is because they're social. Yeah, I think high school's a really interesting microcosm of that because I think that when you're popular in high school, the implication is that there's sort of a mass appeal to what you have to offer and there's also something to gain from what you have to offer. Whereas being a social person, I kind of view as being someone that will bring anyone into their fold regardless of the gaining in social standing that that affords them. Yeah, there's a difference between connectedness and status. Yes, bang on. Mm. So did you find that progression, let's say, um, from, well, it's not even really a progression then because I guess what we've just established is that you have just continued to be social from from high school. And being social might make you popular, but Mm. as long as what you are is social first, people kind of know well, there's a clearer sense of what to connect to. So it's funny that you say that because when I started out as an influencer, there's those funny years again, <laughs> it was a deliberate choice. So I ran a little candle company, Chloe Jane Candle Co, plug, plug. And I worked with, back in the day, they weren't in around 2014, they weren't called influencers. They were just people that I thought took good photos and that maybe had large audiences. And back then they were audiences of 2000 people. That was huge on Instagram. And my decision to build a platform for myself off the back of seeing how these people worked and how these people got to be creative for a job was one that I suppose was initially rooted in popularity. And I would work with brands and I would post photos and I guess I was more of the sort of person that you think of when you think influencer, you know, the Jenners and the Kardashians, not that I'd pass as a Jenner or a Kardashian, <laughs> but you get the reference. Um, in the last few years, however, I really did make a conscious decision to, and I suppose an unconscious decision to pivot to that more social persona. So stopped worrying about how I could commercialise my audience. I stopped worrying about that mass appeal and I started speaking about things that were surprisingly a little bit more polarising, things like body image, things like mental illness, you know, all sorts of more deep issues, I suppose. And I really found that I started connecting with my audience in a very different way than I did when I was 19 years old and sharing photos of fish scale smoothies. Mm. Fish scale smoothies. Mm -hmm. Mm, Yuck. (laughs) Not good. 
Oh man. Okay. We we had a discussion even just the other day about how sometimes let's say a, a commonality between you and I is that we will do many things, but sometimes it's very hard to turn that into money. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so was that uh, has that been a challenge in terms of your, your transition from say let's say popularity to social? I definitely noticed that as soon as I especially leaned into the body positivity and and the mm. self-esteem and and that sort of thing I noticed a real step back from brands because I did lose a lot of my mass appeal that was again someone that presented as as young and as as thin I used to I'm quite open about the fact that when I started out I edited a lot of my photos to make myself appear to be a very slim person and fit into I guess the social ideals of of what the app was and and still can be Definitely, yeah, got a lot a lot fewer requests for brands to work with me. But now when it happens, they are collaborations that I believe in wholeheartedly. And they're people that understand who I am because they look at any one of my social feeds and they can pick up on what I'm actually about. It It's the same as, you know, I meet people now sometimes that have we followed each other on social media for a long time and they have a moment where they say, oh my God, you're exactly the same in person as you are on Which Instagram. Which is exactly what you want to hear. Yes, spot on. So mm-hmm. there's no surprises in in looks, in the way that I sound, in the way that I interact with people. And there are fewer opportunities, but they're more special. So it's me. really been a path from it being social to being popular, back to being social with an unconscious drive towards authenticity that then became a very deliberate conscious thing yes that if i do this authentically yeah it might be slower but i get to be me all the time and i've said this on the podcast before a friend of mine in the united states his tagline on internet forums used to be telling the truth means not having to remember what you said that is so apt yeah Yeah. which is such a powerful thing it takes time that way but you don't have to remember what you did yes because you did what you would do every day Absolutely. It can be, you know, and it can be uncomfortable. Sometimes I'll be about to post something and I'll think, would I like to share this part of me with these people? And when the answer is yes, because it will help them or yes, because it will give them a clearer idea of what other people are wading through, then that's always seems to be a positive thing in the end. Yeah. It might be uncomfortable on that day, but it means you feel you are brave and brave is always a good way to feel when things are difficult. Absolutely. It's an interesting, th- th- that's one of the most interesting points I think about what, what you do is that, it, and, and this is where I guess Instagram, let's say, or, or any other social media platform becomes where the tension enters because, you know, you, you just described a process by which you would select the kinds of things that you would share or say or post you know, whether it was a particularly unflattering photo of yourself to, let's say, a less popular political opinion. But, you know, between all of those different things, not saying that... Yeah. No, but both of those, yes, yeah. tick, tick. <laughs> You know, it, that I, that is where the danger of the platform, I guess, becomes because it, we inherently are going to put our best or try to put our best foot forward, you know, and and be selective about about those things. And then, you know, all of a sudden to an audience, they have of the many people that they follow a collaborated feed that is only the best parts of people and that seems to be like a oh i guess it has proven to be dangerous you know i guess if we look at jonathan Haidt's work this is i guess a, a kind of social media conservative and american psychologist who suggests that kids shouldn't have phones until they're like 16 <laughs> me is, yeah. <laughs> me as a teenager yes yeah. <laughs> um, but mainly because there's nothing in place 
to up the chances of it using them well. There, mm. What there is is just mayhem, which tends to end in most people becoming, well, the screen is two-dimensional. Mm. And if there's not a clear understanding of what the screen is and how the screen works, the risk of turning the person two-dimensional. Mm. So it seems if you've got the potential to be a three-dimensional person who can reflect and wants to be authentic, it'll probably end okay. Mm. But if actually the idea of being two-dimensional and ignoring most of what you are and most of what most people are is better because then you only see the best hour of your life, their life and everyone's life, they need to be protected from themselves at some level. And yet don't really want to protect anyone from anything because that's censorship. Mm. Well, but that's that's it, isn't it? I guess that's, that is the Jonathan Haidt model, whereas yeah. I, the thing I love about what Chloe does is it seems to be able to solve some of the inherent problems of these platforms from, from the inside. <laughs> you know, authenticity won't spread to everyone, mm. but if it's there, people can tell what it is. Mm. So you know, Brené Brown, the, the lady that writes about authenticity now, making the point that that kind of authenticity will always be, or vulnerability, I think, is a big thing. Mm -hmm. So there was a, an American psychologist in the 1970s, 1980s, a guy called James Bugenthal, who wrote a book called The Search for Authenticity. And he said, fundamentally, the biggest problem people have is they've not been authentic, and they'll keep having a freak out until they are, and then they'll have a freak out about who they actually are because it's so unfamiliar. Mm. And once they get over the freak out about who they are, then they've got a chance of being authentic. Yes. So it's such a multi-phase step. So if someone like Chloe's not out there being the example of, well, look at my own path, social to popular to social to authentic. Mm. Have a go at your own version of that transition. Well, this is it's a, a theme that comes up in the podcast a lot, isn't it, right? We talk about enacting change through being exemplars. Mm. Chloe now has... I'm not sure how strong your audience is in numbers. You might not want to quantify it here, but a way larger audience that she can be an example to than was ever possible by, let's say, Aristotle. <laughs> well, the significant thing is it's not necessarily that you have to be an exemplar of just the good bits. It's mm. called you know, getting up and coping. Mm. I think that there's a real... And I don't I don't use this term lightly because I think that it can muddy positivity in general, but I've realised quite recently that social media, even when you are consciously consuming, you know, people that are uplifting and that make you feel good, there is a little bit of toxic positivity that can yes. exist in that space. And yeah. I actually was speaking on my Instagram story just two days ago about the fact that I had had a particularly stressful day and I had eaten two family-sized bags of Smith's chips, not sponsored. Smith's sponsor me. That's a lot of chips. It's a lot you of chips. You would not have felt well. I did not feel good. I didn't feel good about anything, really. But I decided to share that with the world, even though it's a little bit embarrassing and it's not a very good representation of how to hashtag live your life because I just feel and, and felt and feel that a lot of the time, even if you jump on to a feed that's curated in a way that makes you feel good and empowered and uplifted – sometimes that can actually revert you to a place of guilt as well. Yeah. You can feel a little bit like, why am I not living my life in this way that is wholesome? Why am I not seeing every sunset? Why am I watching so much Netflix or eating two family-sized bags of chips? So I think that we are genuinely moving into a space where people sharing those grubby or raw or tricky parts of themselves is a positive thing. And I actually think that it's being at least anecdotally, that it's being recognised as a positive thing. When I was back in the popular stage drinking those smoothies and, you know, 
face tuning myself to look a certain way, I had very slow audience growth because I could have been anyone. Yeah, you could have been any one of a hundred young oh, Australian women. Easily. Yeah. Easily. And now speaking about things that are, you know, in the shadowy side, I found I don't actually really quantify it anymore, but I have noticed that my audience has grown and my level of connection with people has grown as well. My DMs are no longer people saying, hey, where's that cool waterfall you went to or, or where did you get that dress from? They're actually full of people saying, hi, I've been going through a really hard time and seeing what you posted made me realise I'm not alone or, mm. you know, hey, I have a 16-year-old daughter and I love your messages about body image. Um, mm. Are there any resources you can share about that that I can share with her, you mm. know, and that's pretty special. Chloe, what did you post the day after you ate the two bags of chips? I posted an update on that situation, not the bags <laughs> of chips, but about the stress that was causing me to binge eat and just reassured everyone that I was doing okay. And, and that's the power of authenticity. Mm -hmm. That falling off the, you know, the train, no big deal. But you know, get back on a couple of days later. Yeah. You know, acknowledge that something was really out of whack for behaviour to be so different to normal mm -hmm. and then show the path back. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be – and this is the thing about the exemplar idea. Exemplars don't have to get things perfect or get things back on the rails quickly. They just have to try. Mm. You know, this is a case where the means is more important than the ends, the means of trying to do a decent job of it. And I suppose as an exemplar, you don't want everything to look perfect and polished because then it can seem really unobtainable to people. Well, then you are just one of those people who could be you know, totally interchangeable because the curation is to the level where it's not human. Mm. And it's almost like, I don't know, this is a weird thing from my perspective because social media being so visual, you know, I really use it to keep up with former students and you know, now more and more people I've trained in the consultancy role and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's instantly big community from day one. So it's not really affected by how nice the photos are. Mm. Whereas I can imagine that power of, you know, the world is chaotic and frightening, the screen is beautiful, mm. must be really powerful. Particularly to young people who are trying to work out, what does the world mean? How do I fit? Mm -hmm. No wonder it must be such a risk of wanting to give in to the perfect image for a while, maybe 15 to 20. I reckon that would be the danger range, is it, mm -hmm. from what you see on Instagram? Yeah. Is that danger range getting younger? Yeah, look, it is. But on the other hand, the danger range is becoming more informed as well. So five years ago when Instagram was a relatively new space, there were no conversations around how to consume that sort of media in a constructive way. There were no alternatives to following the people that you thought were cool or attractive or a big deal. Whereas now, I mean, I've been into schools to talk to 16-year-old girls about how they can curate a space that makes them feel good and how empowering that can be. And that is my favourite kind of work ever. I'm really situationally aware. Absolutely. They understand that the medium is under their control mm -hmm. rather than them being under its control. And that's the thing, right? Yeah. When I was that age, you know, we didn't have social media in the same sense that we have it now. We did have Dolly and Girlfriend and Cleo and Cosmo magazine and, you know, would consume them relentlessly, even younger, you know, 12, 13, 14 mm. years old. And there, there was really only one way to live, one way to look, one way to feel that was presented, mm. you know, and 
you would read Girlfriend and it would tell you what you should be like at 15 and then you'd sneak a look into your mum's friend's Cosmo magazine and you'd think, all right, so when I'm 25, I need to be moving from day to night seamlessly and I need to be only eating these canapes because they're the ones that won't fatten me up and this is the way I need to live my life. Whereas, you know, now, yes, that information is more readily accessible to young people, but if they're empowered with the information that they can choose what information they're consuming, then I think that's actually a step in the right direction. So this might actually be the area of new media where there is a potential to to disrupt it positively more quickly. Absolutely. And with, with the COVID situation. I also work in social media with small business clients and I have sat down and I've said to every single one of them, now is not the time to be curating everything. Now is the time to be vulnerable Mm. because now is the time that people are soaking up authenticity like a sponge. And I know it's a bit of a buzzword, but it's true. People People don't give a shit about what bag you got gifted by what company. What they want to know is how you are coping with deep bouts of loneliness in Mm. isolation. People want to be connecting with other people now more than ever. And if you use the space right, then it's a really, you know, it's a really good place to do that. Yeah, I think authenticity has come and gone because we didn't have the technology. So if you knew someone really authentic, they would be the centre of your friendship group. Mm -hmm. And that has had to transition into how does that then work on two-dimensional screens. Mm. It was probably just a matter of time before authenticity you know, found a way to lock itself in to a world that could very easily go the wrong direction. But the point is authenticity doesn't let itself be dragged you know, off-centre. Mm-hmm. It's not what authenticity is about. And well, I think that there was the presentation of authenticity – Again, in the early stage of stages of this, when people were working out how to balance authenticity with a voice that people would listen to, maybe was one that could come across as almost negative in a world where people were only posting their best selves. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now, I think that balance has been found and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, because you're reintroducing, in a sense, the chaos of three dimensions. Mm. back into the two-dimensional world. Mm-hmm. And you know, as you were talking, I was having the thought too, that, okay, there's going to be some you know, full-blown narcissists out there who would curate their own life in real life. Mm. They're going to reduce the three dimensions to two dimensions. The point is that that lack of authenticity from that person will show in the real world and now in the two-dimensional world as well. So authenticity should eventually be able to have the same infectious potential you know, in on screens that we hope podcasting will have on, you know, spoken word media. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of idea. How do you be the positive virus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. This is still like, let's say this is still a battle, let's say that, you know, that, that Chloe is fighting. I, I think that, you know, um, yeah, but it's a she, permanent she, battle by the oh, sound absolutely. of it. Yeah. Because every new bunch of kids until they're going to have to learn uh, right? until well, people yeah. like Chloe, have got through to so many kids that there isn't a kid who disappears into the two-dimensional world going, wow, I'm going to be perfect. Mm. No, 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 you're going to learn how to be a person because mm. you need to learn from everyone you can because it's a difficult job. It's that whole thing it takes a village to raise a child or whatever mm. it is. In a sense, this is just a way to replace that. The tiny nuclear family can't provide everything to everyone. Mm-mm. So where's the alternative for getting the viewpoints that would have been aunts, uncles, friends, all those things with more experience, more opportunities, what had to move to this world that is in our pocket? Mm. And it just took time for it to start to emerge. So companies, are they dealing well with the change? 
you know, they would have originally looked for who is the most perfect of the hundred mm. mm-hmm. indistinguishable young women. Mm-hmm. Are some of them still really dense and others are getting smarter? How does it work in corporate land? Yeah, there's definitely, there's not sort of one general rule for how companies are buying into the sense of positivity and authenticity and things like that. Um, you see some people do it well and you see some people that are still, you know, very much aligned with a certain type of person. And then you see people, you or, sorry, then you see companies who are proclaiming to do it well, but with a little bit of digging and with the critical eye that we have in 2020 with everything going on in the world, maybe are doing it in a performative way. However, because of that critical eye, I think that audiences are really, really finely attuned to that. And the companies that are not doing it well in terms of message or in terms of diversity are being called out, you know, and I'm not a believer in cancel culture. However, I am really impressed with the way that I've seen witness people over the last couple of months present their thoughts to brands and, you know, sometimes really big brands that you would never have had an avenue to speak to in a direct way before now about the way that their content is resonating and any improvements that this one individual thinks could be made. And that's the thing, if that comment goes up publicly and a thousand people look at it in the first hour and go, that's such a good idea. Mm. Yeah, that in itself helps feeds the idea. It is worth me putting my good idea out there mm-hmm. or my authentic idea out there because even if the company doesn't respond, what you're confirming is there's a lot of thoughtful people who I may not ever meet out there but I'll see online every day. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea that I've spoken with friends about in the past that social media does not equal social change and I understand that. But on the other hand, even if those thousand people aren't all writing their own comments all of a sudden that's a thousand more people that might have genuinely never had that thought before and now that's something that's in their mind and and that's a part of their belief system and that's really powerful in in itself yeah so really it's taken probably five years in social media for incremental iteration to start to deliver a genuine alternative Mm -hmm. but the point is there's no reason for it to stop so it only has to continue at the same pace and you know, over time, that will mean there's a real balance in social media. If you want to consume trash, like eating chips, feel free. But there's plenty of other stuff to consume too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, while that I, – I actually think that it's almost a divide that's been happening. And, again, to refer back to what's going on in the world at the moment, seeing what people have chosen to touch on or elaborate on or what views or opinions or – resources they've chosen to share has been one way that has seen social media and the divide between the influencer you know become quite divisive and I'm sure you know it's a spectrum there's going to be people that say you know this person has done so much and it's so impressive and I feel this way because of it and then there's going to be people who look at the same person further down the spectrum and say you know what they really haven't come to the plate in the way that I'd hoped they had Mm. and that's life but at least it is, again, illuminating the industry and the people within it in a way that l- lets people consume consciously. Yeah, it starts looking like every other society. Mm. You have every variation from both extremes. And well, that's actually what the world's like. So it will become more and more reflective of reality, particularly with everyone being locked inside. If you take reality away from our day, we'll put that somewhere else. So we'll get that diversity appearing you know, in something we can still share because we're not allowed outside. Yeah, I've said for years in workshops that I've run 
on social media that social media is essentially a microcosm. There's that word again. Mm. Learned it in year 11 English. Use it very frequently ever since. Thank <laughs> you, Mrs. Clark. I've always said that social media is a microcosm of life and I've always meant that in a business sense, but I truly think that now it is becoming that microcosm in just a general worldly sense. And more too. human sense yeah. of all the bits that make humans humans. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, because really, if you're going to follow something very narrowly defined in social media, you're deliberately choosing to make your world small. And everyone can do that. Now, people do that in the real world too. Mm -hmm. So that's not really any different to normal Mm behaviour. And if you want to be open to it being broad and interesting and odd and different, we just have to look because it's all there. So it's ironic that something that was so different and the technology companies deliberately wanted it to be so different because that would make it a better money maker for them, may end up over time becoming, you know, as human as our messy world. Mm. Which is good because I like our messy world best. Me too. Uh, but it, so it is messy though, right? Like uh, I absolutely, it, and that's uh, the polite word because sometimes it's ugly. So I, I want to just I want to kind of touch on something that Collie brought up earlier, which is you kind of you're talking about how there is more of like let's say a revolution or there is a bit of a change in the wind. I guess it in, in how influences on social media are presenting themselves and presenting to their audiences and that it's kind of moving away from lack advertising in some ways mm. to do something that's more empowering and i guess you know you're someone who is at the very forefront of that so your exposure to those things let's say i don't want to say is like biased but you will see all of those things mm. so i want to say that uh, let's say as someone who is not as um a social media literate that that impression lags behind probably what you see so mm-hmm. like i my impression and this is I, I'm, I'm not informed so this is this is why I'm, this is why my impression is so my impression of social media is still very much the the, the jenna kind mm. of gym fitness mm-hmm. whatever kind of thing and that might have been just the way that i used to use instagram i don't i don't actually have it so i want to say that like it, it is it is it is a battle like we have, have addressed earlier but you know that means that someone like yourself and someone who comes across as vulnerable is going to be quite vulnerable to other people who are not playing on the same kind of fair battleground uh, to if you're not collating your feeds in let's say the same way as someone who might do really vigorously there is a tension there and do you find yourself in in kind of negative spouts with those kinds of people like are you having actual negative interactions with other people who are not interacting with Instagram in good faith, let's say? No, I think it is very similar to if I was at a bar, let's say it's summertime on a bar in the rooftop in the city with a group of my friends and we are all laughing and having a great time and sharing embarrassing stories about our day. And at the next table, there is a group of models slash professionals, you know, very beautifully put together, very carefully curated men and women who are quite evidently much cooler and much more carefully presented than we are you know we can both exist at that bar and we can both exist in the same realm and I suppose there's not really ever a reason for them to come over to our table and say hey what are you doing you are you know five foot one and pretty curvy and you're ugly crying and you need to stop that because it doesn't match my expectation of Mm. what, what people do in the world I think there are really clearly those different circles now and I don't I don't personally see witness 
people coming into other groups and tearing them down for the way that they exist. And the people that do that are the people that aren't in either of those groups and the people that barge in through the door very, very drunk already and throw themselves at the closest table and start hurling abuse. And to be honest, everyone at my table across my social media platforms tend to just turn around and say, hey, what are you doing? Are you you right? Like this is... It's a bit strange. This is not good behaviour. You should probably show yourself out. And I can't speak for the other table, but I assume that that's similar behaviour there. Something that, again, I think I miss in this stuff, not seeing the pictures. The internet, sort of the early 2000s, where your internet forums were huge, but you had to go home and use the computer. Mm -hmm. No one used their real name. Mm. So there was anonymity and behaviour was garbage. Mm -hmm. Like most of those forums died because you really couldn't get rid of trolls Mm -hmm. because trolls weren't real people. Does it help that in current social media, people's identity is much clearer and if they're going to be really stupid or really poorly behaved, they're doing it as them? Is that part of what's helping gradually clean up behaviour? Absolutely, absolutely. To be honest, a majority of the bad behaviour that I see across Instagram and, you know, Facebook comment sections as well is from people who have fake accounts and fake names. And we are so finely attuned to that as a society now, you know, general society, internet society, that people do jump on that pretty quickly and say, hey, if you're not, if you're going to show up here with a balaclava on, then you're not welcome to yeah, take part in this conversation. Or go away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if someone, if someone is presenting their ideas or their objections or their arguments with themselves to back that up, then I think that there is the space for a constructive discussion because people are willing to put everything on the line. People are willing to step up with their opinions in a way that means that if someone saw that opinion, despised that opinion and called the person's workplace, that person had better believe that they can walk into a meeting with HR and say, this is why I said that, these are my convictions and I stand by them. And yeah. that's, yeah, huge. And the fact that HR departments are going to look at everyone's social media before they interview you is another positive. You better be being yourself because that's how you're going to be seen by people who need to understand what you are in a 15-minute snapshot. Yes. Mm. So I really like this specific topic because I, I connect with it, right? And I had a period where I... Well, I don't, I don't even really like what I was putting out there, but it was true to me at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I had a period where I was very kind of politically active on Facebook and I spat out things that were just so not true because I was so ridiculously informed as a 17, 18, whatever year old (laughs) that I withdrew from that because I found it not winning me many friends, right? Mm. I found it that I was so divisive and I said things that were like quite hurtful, even though they were kind of genuine thoughts that I eventually just withdrew from those forums. I got to the point where it felt uncool to post something on Facebook, you know, and that, that seems like a very common experience. I don't know too many people my age who are very active in posting things on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Like especially opinions and things. You know, there's some, you know, very prominent activists and people who post regularly and then there are just others who just do nothing at all. And that's fine. It's their right. And they're, they're allowed to choose that. But I, I'm, I can't help but feel like I can relate to that just because I know what it's like, I guess, to put stuff out there and then feel like you're, you're not only not getting anything from it, but actually losing out by sharing. Yeah, but were you sharing you or were you sharing who you thought you should be online? Oh, who I thought I should be because, but, yeah. but that's only, but that's due to my young, yeah, my, my youth. So what it means is this is going to be a, a constant problem that part of working out who you are is testing that out also in an online set. Sure. 
And I guess bringing that again to the offline world, you know, I love relating things to the offline world. <laughs> if 17 year old you was at a party, which I would probably be at also, and you were sharing those ideas, I can only imagine that the way that those ideas would have been perceived would have been very similar mm. to how they were perceived on social media at the time. You know, maybe people would have engaged with you more readily mm. being a forum in which they weren't part of 50 conversations at once as they scrolled down their newsfeed. Yeah, good point. But I think it's a pretty good litmus mm, test. Yeah. Mm. When you post anything online, I personally practice sometimes out loud saying something before I post it. And I think that that's a thing that people are missing because sometimes when we are typing something out, it can seem as though they are convictions that we hold and it can seem as though our opinions are right down deep to our core. And then when we say it, it can, I, you know, obviously you don't want to be censoring yourself, but sometimes when you say it, you go, hang on, there's actually bits there that sound really good on paper, but that don't align with my views. Yeah, but composition on screen, it's the difference between writing and talking. Mm. You know, writing isn't what your brain thinks. It's an artificial form. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you say it aloud and then decide that's where you're going to put down, that is you. That's just our neurology. Yeah. You know, we were, we've been a, a storytelling species infinitely longer than we've been a species who writes. Mm. So if in doubt, if in any doubt, say it aloud to yourself first. Look yourself in the mirror if you can see yourself in the mirror first and say it. And if it still feels right, well, then it is your unconscious and your conscious are on the same page. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're just sitting there at the keyboard tapping away, all you're really doing is engaging your neocortex that is emotionally divorced, not really tuned to other humans. And has a tendency to fixate. Yeah, it can be quite a binary yeah. online. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it is. It's very emotionally, emotionally divorced. Mm. Uh, well, I've recently reconstituted the way that I engage with social media, and and so that was part of a whole thing where I decided I would have kind of less things that I found were distracting and try and just engage more in, let's say, community discussions because those are the things that I like. That's the way I'm going to present myself on uh, social media because if I'm looking for those things in real life, I should equally look for those things on Facebook, let's say. So I'll post something that's politically charged as it, <laughs> as it is. And, and, you know, I'll, and I'll try and enter discussions in good faith. And I'm finding that more fulfilling now than I used to. And maybe that's due to just the nuance in my political uh, alignment, but comparison to, you know, six years ago or more, but it also could be that the way that I'm engaging with it is probably more in a good faith because it, I'm not presenting my I'm not presenting my thoughts as kind of convictions I'm trying to enter in discussions as, a, as a and how different of, is your audience to six years ago a little bit different so, mm. as, as yeah. someone that's friends with mm. you on social media Tim I have to say that the way that you do engage with some pretty big issues um, I'm one of the people that do post politically on mm. Facebook that's pretty much all I use that space for yeah um you know, you out of everyone I know are the person that is happy to engage in a way that is open to learning as yeah. well. And that's, again, the, chiming back to that authenticity aspect, that's the way that I find that you engage in real life as well. Um, I very rarely hear you in person or on social media present something as whole and utter fact. You know, I know that you have your beliefs and I know that you um, definitely stand for things but there always seems to be the room to learn something new when you're engaging with someone and that really comes across 
on social media as well. I, I want to say that it's inspired at least in part by what I have seen from you. And it's why I like this discussion, because I, I want to think that there is some kind of instruction booklet that <laughs> that we could we could present in this discussion, <laughs> which kind of is is very much that transformation from, oh, I need to present, you know, this this specific idea of what I think I am into um, how can I engage with this platform in, in a way that it reflects exactly how a discussion in real life would work, which is more like that. When you have a discussion in real life, I would say you are more often or you are, you are more able to be adaptable and, and reflexive because it's not emotionally devoid of emotion. Whereas when you having a political discussion with someone online is so easy to become really aggressive and not listen to what the other person is saying. I think that this idea of personal branding, and I was talking to my friend Lucas, who's a musician about this last night, the idea of personal branding is huge. And that's not something that's exclusive to influencers. That's something mm. that I'm sure works with you guys as well, just, just presenting in a public being. space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. bank tellers, it's people that work at yeah. the coffee shop, it's whatever. And the, the way that people choose to present themselves online I have noticed sometimes people can feel really driven to only present a side of themselves that aligns with the branding that they wish to aspire to. But I guess that's back again at that two, that idea of a two-dimensional person. Mm. And if your branding is someone who believes deeply that, say, climate change is an issue that we need to tackle and tackle now, then sometimes people, I think, feel that the way that they approach that issue online is a really strong-held approach um and a way that makes what they say seem quite binary because they don't want to be wishy-washy about it and they want to make sure that they're communicating their convictions Mm. yeah but in communicating your convictions and what so often happens with people who become so passionate about a single thing they lose some chunk of themselves even to themselves Mm -hmm. so in a sense they're still being totally truthful to who they are and that is that something has become so overwhelmingly important that they don't come across as entirely complete anymore. Mm. And it's the problem with any really massive, important cause that the world's not picking up on. We can look through history. The people who are saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling, are right. But in saying it the way they are, they're trying to show how intense and important this is. But in reality, all they look is not quite like a rounded human. Yeah, and So there's a really strange imbalance there between the message and how the person presents themselves that... I think has always been a problem even pre-social media. It can put people offside as well, I yeah. think, being being that divisive. People that were perhaps willing to listen to what you have to say, you know, if you're coming out swinging and swearing and saying, well, you're all a bunch of dickheads if you think this, mm. you know, then I think that the response to that is kind of, oh, well, all right, we're not your people. That's okay. We'll mm. go and be our people over here. Maybe these people will be more welcoming. And mm. sometimes when people are sitting on the fence about issues – that sort of divisiveness and that lack of friendliness, which Mm. I know sounds a bit wishy-washy, but that's what it is. That lack of welcoming can actually be to the detriment of any issue. I wish I could remember who said, you know, you can only reason with reasonable people. But it strikes me that that's what this is all about, is you you try and be reasonable, and if people are reasonable back, you keep being reasonable. Sounds Winston Churchill-y. Oh, I'd say it's older than that, but yeah. I'm, I, I, no, I'll be sensible today. No, no Winston voice while Chloe's here. I'll avoid I'd the like Winston to hear voice. It. Oh it's, God, can it's I do part this? of his personal branding? <laughs> <laughs> can I do Winston while I'm, while I'm smiling like an idiot? Probably not. We'll see if it happens later. But that thing of you can only reason with reasonable people. 
recognising this is not going to go anywhere. The best thing at this point to do is to withdraw. And this is a thing that's very powerful, certainly in the three-dimensional world, and that is simply going, I'm not going to interact with that person because their behaviour is annoying, weird, frustrating, they're not listening. And if they're not listening, why am I talking? So simply withdrawing your attention is very powerful in the real world. Does it tend to be as powerful in social media, Chloe? Like if someone's behaving very poorly in social media, does the community pretty much like the tide just withdraw from them and they suddenly find no one's listening? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's um, quantifiable ways that you can look at that. There's a website called Social Blade, which lets you measure any given influencer's interaction on their posts. And again, it's really interesting at the moment. I was listening to another podcast on it just yesterday and seeing or hearing about the way that those tides are retreating for people that, you know, people feel are perhaps out of touch with the times. And then on a smaller level in something like a Facebook comment section discussion, if someone is really flailing and and having a lot to say in a way that people are not agreeing with, the tricky thing is that doesn't happen in real life is if you're in a comment section, you're actually speaking to so many people. It's never, you know, a one-on-one discussion. So it's not that you are standing in a cafe having a talk with someone and they start being, you know, a little bit much and you walk away. It's more like that person is doing a speech on a little stage in that cafe and you are one of 500 people that's choosing to leave, Um, which can feel a little bit disempowering sometimes, but I think when it spreads and when more people start to realise that, this is not what they want to be consuming. It's not, it doesn't align with their personal values and the way that that should balance into social media and the way that it does in real life when you interact with people, then you can really start to see that tide ebb. Yeah, so it's like the other week I recorded an episode with Steve Davis for the Adelaide Show podcast about the New South Australian Police Unit. And you know, Steve had posted the night before on Facebook that we were going to talk about it. And the conversation you know, went off in its own way with people speaking at each other and only a few people actually listening to everybody. Mm. And it was like, what are you all doing? Steve's question was simple and you've all taken it to this other place. And it really is that thing of almost like a conversation starts in a pub or a town hall and two people start it, but then someone else joins in, then the original person walks off. Mm. And then by 15 minutes later, you've got this conversation between five people who don't even know how it started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm. And they're all yelling at each other. Yeah, and you're like, what the heck happened? Yeah. Mm. Like, go back and read the original post. So I almost wonder when something gets so many responses, the people just dive in and see the last five. So they've seen the heading and they've seen the last five comments. Well, how about reading the other, you know, hours worth of interactions Mm -hmm. and realising that this has just become chaos and you can't unscramble the (laughs) omelette. It's probably better to just give up now. So that, that is what's so scary, right? Is like, you know, there's there's that side of it where you, you, you don't want to unscramble the omelette and say, we'll continue with the metaphor. You don't even want to try and address the craziness that's happened from the words that are falling on deaf uh, deaf ears, right? Well, people speaking at each other. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, the yeah. critical thing. I sure. About. So you don't want to engage with that. And then that can be that can be so stressful if it happens to you. That like if someone if someone were to come come at you with all, with all of those I don't know with all of that aggression, it becomes really scary to try and be authentic. What if what if your authentic self? This must be what people worry about. What if your authentic self is so ugly that you're met with just complete vitriol? Yeah. Mm. Look, I suppose that 
again, like sharing those opinions in the real world, that's a space where people are either going to grow or a space where they're going to retreat. Mm. Um, and if you're you know, authentic self is so ugly, as you said, or if... Let's pick a better word because that can be misconstrued in social media. Yes, okay. Yeah. If your if authentic, your authentic self is... is so offensive yes. or aggressive. Mm. I think, I feel like ugly because it, it fits both the visual and the, let's say, political. Yeah, but there's a lot of very pretty humans who are ugly. Right. <laughs> That's my choice. Yeah, let's not take using it away from okay. the physical Apologies, yeah. apologies, apologies. Yeah. Okay. So if who you are is that shocking and that divisive and puts that many people offside that you're, say, posting on Instagram, you know, shocks and offends people and all of your comments say, why are you saying this? You know, I hate this. That's enough internet for today, da-da-da. Then you can push on and you can keep spouting what you're spouting and that's a choice or you can retreat and stop posting. But I dare say that the vast majority of people that have something to say in general, online, don't hold views that are, you know, sometimes nearly as divisive as they think they're going to be. No, sometimes because most people are normal. Yeah. Like, guys, get <laughs> over ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Most of us are actually surprisingly normal. Absolutely. And we think, oh, God, I'm so strange. I, I find myself sometimes hovering over the post button. And I think, God, if I share this, what are people going to say? And most of what people say are, oh, that that's was really nicely positive. written. Or, yeah. oh, there's some nice flowers in the picture. You know, like, no. that's And that's something that I speak about with social media all of the time because – at all of my workshops with small businesses, people say to me, oh, look, I really want to speak online or I really want to share this or that or I'd really like to start social media, but I'm so scared. And I say, in the most positive way possible, no one cares as much as we think mm. that they do. No one, you know, I say, if you are walking through a food court and you fall over in front of 500 people, mm. yeah, be embarrassing at the time, but the chances of someone going home, yeah. sitting at their dinner table and saying, I've said this to you before, haven't I, Tim? Yeah. And saying, oh my God, the funniest thing happened today. <laughs> I saw this girl fall over in the food court. It was hilarious. A, like everyone's going to be like, oh, wow, that's the, the most boring story I've ever heard. B, you know, if if they are doing that, then that says more about them than about you and mm. the people around them are probably like, oh, Precisely. Okay. Either their household are going to look at them and go, did you go make sure she was okay? Yes. Or they're going to go, <laughs> we're all weird and we hang out together because we're all weird. <laughs> yeah. Which is the alternative. And if that group are going to do that, then just don't breed. Yeah. And if, <laughs> and you know, whereas the person that fell over, they probably had that on their mind for the rest of the day. They're probably like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. That was so embarrassing. My yeah. ankle went a funny way. I hated that. Mm. But no one else cares. And if you post something on social media, you can hype yourself up for half an hour to say on your Instagram story, hey guys, um, just posted a new product on my website and I'm really excited about it and I hope you like it too. And you can check and see who's seen it and you can look at that view account and you can freak out for the next, you know, two and a half hours. But the reality is most people probably saw that and either went, oh, cool, or... Or didn't. Didn't. And that's that. And that's it, yeah. Because, again, that was one moment in time and that's the thing. When we post anything, for us it's ours, like you just said. For everyone else, it's a blip. Mm. So part of remembering is to everyone else, we're a blip. Yes. Get over yourself. Yes. We are the blip. Absolutely. And, you know, even now with quite a large audience and to quantify at the moment, that's about 25,000 people on Instagram and about 150,000 on TikTok. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't, I don't have TikTok, so I hadn't, because you told me that you were like TikTok famous now. But okay. <laughs> I don't think I use that word. I really do try no, no. and <laughs> avoid those phrases. Tell us about TikTok because, of course, you know, at, at my age and being blind, it's like this appears to be focused mm. very much at what just 
going into that phase of becoming a grown up, it's mm-hmm. what largely probably what ten to fifteen year olds. What's what's uh, the age range? Look, no. So I would say these these days, I would say the average age range is probably say sixteen to thirty. Now, right. that's anecdotal. So the way that TikTok works, I downloaded TikTok about twelve months ago because I'd heard some things about it, and I had it on my phone. And I went, oh my God, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. I so was you like, decided to unstupid it by being real. Well, yeah. Well, it well took me a while. You. I wish I wish I did it sooner. But the thing is, I'd scroll down what's called your For You page, which is very similar to a feed. And what happens on TikTok that's different from other social media is that you are not first presented with people that you choose to follow or engage with. The native space that you're presented with is content that the algorithm thinks that you will like. So for the first two weeks that you're on TikTok, essentially you're going to see what is popular, which is kind of a vicious cycle because what they Mm. deem is popular and what more people see are one and the same. So you're training the AI and the AI is training you. Absolutely. So two weeks after, so (laughs) there's something that people call straight TikTok which is that really basic TikTok that you see at the start, which is primarily a 15-year-old girl called Charlie who is very tall and very slim and very beautiful doing all sorts of dances, right? So that's the TikTok that the media present. And I think one of the reasons for that, at least initially, is because journalists will download TikTok, spend half an hour on there and go, oh God, I've got this worked out and it's a bit strange. However, the AI is so intelligent on TikTok that now I jump on my for you page and the algorithm shows me things that are so carefully curated to my interests like this morning there was um a video that came up of a girl braiding small crystals small you know amethyst into her hair for its positive charging powers now it's not something I would do but it's something I'm very interested in hearing more about so you sort of go off into all of these different lands. There's straight TikTok, which is the base, and then there's alt TikTok, and then there's LGBTQI plus TikTok, and then there's things like frog TikTok, and you just see lots and lots of videos of frogs. And if you engage with those videos, you see more photos, <laughs> videos of frogs, you know. So it really is this super, super carefully curated space. And the stuff that I post on TikTok, when I started and when people were sort of just getting on the platform and I started um, around December of last year posting, my my toe dip into the water was, you know, really the standard stuff. Um, and then I started posting things that were, I started posting some body positivity stuff, which interestingly the app did not like and I got flagged for and censored for very, Whoa. very often. How the heck does that work? Anything that TikTok thinks, so it's a very, that's the thing, very carefully censored platform, which- you know, again, coming out of China, it must meet their social the, rules about social behaviour. Yes, yeah. So perhaps, you know, even body sensitivity, there could be a very strange thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the beauty standards in China are quite notably very, very high and very different to yeah. Australia or America or the UK. Um, however, the, the backlash from the users has been- great enough that there has been a bit of a shift. When TikTok first started, there was um, lots of negative coverage for really good reason. They admitted to censoring content from disabled, queer and plus size creators because they thought, oh, no one's going to want to see that because we don't want to see that. And there was such a pushback against that, that these days, a lot of those videos have been reinstated. A lot of those censors have dropped slightly. And I scroll through my feed on TikTok now and I see creators that are queer. I see creators that are disabled. I see creators that are people of colour or Indigenous peoples. I see creators who have a completely different lived experience 
than me. And I say, you know, with all the genuine words in my mouth that exist, that that space for me has been more eye-opening and has done a better job at communicating other people's lived experiences to me personally than any other platform I've been on. And, you know, I spent two and a half years constantly on Ask Reddit, soaking up other people's experiences. Mm -hmm. Whereas, yeah, being able to interact with that in a way that is so quick and is so easily consumable has really opened up my worldview. So it's interesting that perhaps once they got the humans out of the mix trying to censor it at head office and just let the AISS, Mm. what do people spend more time on. Mm. Oh, well, let's put something like that up again. Oh, well, let's put something similar to that. Oh, look, just let people be the people they are and hope that that actually, you know, what's either going to make people's world very small Mm -hmm. or ever expanding. Mm -hmm. So my guess is there must be two very different kinds of communities on TikTok. The people who live in a very uniform bubble and everyone else. (laughs) Oh, TikTok. Mm. Yeah. TikTok. Frog TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Frog (laughs) TikTok. Oh, Frog flavored Tic Tac. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And unfortunately, the the TikTok uh, that gets all the press is the that straight TikTok. Yeah, sorry, let me be clear. I'm sure that there are queer creators on straight TikTok as well. It's you know, but they look fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not really representative of the space as a whole, in my personal experience. But then my personal experience with people in the world in general is that there are all sorts of different fascinating really interesting people out there and I'm sure that there are people out there who you know don't really spend their time with anyone who's a bit strange or a bit left of center or has different abilities or skills or thoughts than they do and and that's their life and that's fine yeah we just need every now and then people whose bubble is a bit small for the AI to go "Mm, you appear to be going around in a circle Let's throw something in to weird it out. Yeah. So as long as I occasionally throw something crazy yes. into straight TikTok, I'm all cool. Yes. I'm sure it does, just to see what happens. Like, hey, what did the human do about this? We'll throw a frog in. Add a little bit of spice to that. Mm, spicy frog. I don't even, I can't even remember how we got onto TikTok. <laughs> well, I asked because, again, it's such a different platform from what I can understand mm-hmm. and just not understanding. But again, that's the thing. If people are coming to TikTok having already got this highly developed sense of using social media positively and the AI is responsive, that bodes very well. Well, it can still be highly manipulated because there's people behind the AI, but that's the same of all these things. None of these communities aren't mediated. It's the problem of the algorithms and head office. There's always the risk of interference, but then that's the same with normal life. Mm. You know, all media can be mediated by somebody. And we just got to be aware that maybe it is and that if it's looking all a bit too polished and small and orderly, then someone's lying to us by making the world simple. Mm. Absolutely. But that's up to us as individuals to have a problem with. The other thing about TikTok is, Tim, you asked if people interacting in a negative way and those people that charge through the door at the rooftop bar that I mentioned earlier, they do exist on TikTok. And the reason for that is because you're being shown content by creators that you don't necessarily follow and don't have a pre-existing relationship with. So that's not people at your table. That is genuinely the people that are... So literally, yeah, you walk in the bar, the bouncer looks and goes, come here, yep. grabs you and hurls you at a table. Yes. And you land on. at a table of unfamiliar people. And to be honest, I found that the best way to deal with that in that space is to just consistently be really, really nice about it. If someone mm. says something Tell truly hurtful, yeah, yeah, sometimes I'll say things like, 
Just wondering, would you comment? So I'm renovating my home at the moment, which um, is one of the reasons that my TikTok has blown up in recent cool. months. Yep. I posted a video recently of painting. The most boring video I think I've ever created in my life. Two million views later. Turns out people are really, really into it. Yeah, mad. You know, and people were commenting and saying, oh, I hate what you've done with, with oh. those cupboard handles. I hate that. And so I'll just comment and I'll give them food for thought and I'll say, just wondering... If I invited you in to have a look at these in person, would, would you, you say, say that, that? <laughs> to me? And, you know, people quite often will turn around and say, oh, no, sorry, actually, I'm going to delete my comment. Mm. Sometimes people dig their heels in, but you get to a point when if you think, oh, yeah, that's off, I'm not going to respond to that. Other people tend to do it for you. Mm. Mm. So the irony is, whether it's the AI or the designers behind it, if it's actually teaching civility, which, you know, used to be done in the three-dimensional world, if we've found a way to teach civility in the two-dimensional world, that may be its greatest value. Mm. You know, how are we going to get people to be better behaved so that even if they're not authentic, you know, authentic, at least they're well-behaved? Mm. Well, dumping them in frog TikTok, <laughs> where the frog's going, what spice should I cook myself in? <laughs> yeah. It's getting weirder. Sorry. No. Well, I, I think that's it's a good authentic. place to end. We've taken up plenty of your time in which you could be uh, engaging with your followers. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much, Chloe, for joining us. Um, if I could just ask that you give yourself a little bit of a spruik so people know where to find you, because I think after all this, they're going to want to know what uh, a positive want to see those handles. you are. Yeah. yeah. No, love to. Thank you for asking. So you can find me at Love Chloe Jane on all social media, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. And again, I've got a blog, quite neglected, but still a lot of fun. Thank you so much to you both for having me. This has been the highlight of my month, apart from when I occasionally stumble on frog TikTok. <laughs> um, I really, really appreciate your time and keep doing what you do because I think you are both brilliant exemplars of authenticity. Again, podcasting, I think, is a bit of a space where that can sometimes be seen to be lacking if you look at the broader picture. And I love listening to what you do. And I'm sure everyone who has this in their ears right now does too. Oh, that's good. Thank you, Thank Chloe. You. Clearly, we need to be hashtagging our episodes. I'm feeling with, bashful uh, fro- now. With, with frog, t- frog TikTok frog hashtags. Tick. What is frog tick? Frog TikTok. <laughs> oh, oh, the good. frog that fought back. <laughs> Thank you, audience. <laughs> Thank you, Chloe. Bye. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Ozcast Network. Peace out.